Today's episode features the ultimate horror creature, one that we're all familiar with. It's interesting, though, because when we hear creature feature horror movies, I've got no doubt movies other than this one come to mind. Maybe the classics, The Wolfman, King Kong, Frankenstein, or more modern classics, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Alien, The Thing. Here in the Horror Lab, we've dissected at least two creature features, Lake Placid, which featured a killer croc, and The Host, which featured a killer hybrid fish monster. Now, we're set to dissect a third, Godzilla. Like I said, this movie likely didn't come to mind, but not only is Godzilla a horror movie, he is without a doubt the ultimate horror creature. More than that, the historical message of Godzilla is as tragic as it is important. A metaphor for one of the most destructive forces humanity has ever unleashed. The atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And frankly, it's that message that makes Godzilla one of the best horror movies, frankly, one of the best movies ever made. I watched it twice before recording, was stunned by the emotional depth of the movie. I couldn't help but empathize with the characters as they try to make sense of Godzilla's appearance. Remember, Godzilla premiered in 1954, less than 10 years after the bombs were dropped. We shouldn't underestimate the cultural and cinematic importance of Godzilla either. I've heard some dismiss Godzilla as a guy wearing a suit stomping on miniatures. But truly, that view is both reductionist and ignorant. Godzilla ushered in an entirely new approach to special effects called suitmation, and an entirely new subgenre of horror-slash-science fiction movie, Kaiju, or Strange Beast. More simply, we know it as the subgenre of giant monsters. The original 1954 movie spawned 38 total films, including 33 Japanese films and 5 American films, with another set to be released in 2024. Some of my favorite television shows as a kid, Power Rangers, drew on this idea of kaiju. I've no doubt that for many of you listening to this episode, it's been a while since you've seen Godzilla. And I've no doubt that the message of the film, its historic and cultural impact, and its terrifying protagonist should be appreciated afresh and anew. So, if that's you, hit pause on this episode and give Godzilla a watch. Remember, our goal in the Horror Lab is to enhance your viewing experience, not replace it. Welcome back to the Horror Lab Podcast, where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm your co-host, Will, and alongside me, I've got my co-host, Chris. And we've got two special guests in the lab with us today. Uh, We've got Sam Juan and Matt Metcalf. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Sam, why don't you go first? Well, so yeah, my name's Sam. I'm currently uh, the director of Field Ed Ministry Formation at Dallas Seminary. 
I also, um, in the past, have had experiences pastoring in the Asian American immigrant church context, have served overseas in Russia on missions, um, and uh, currently also do some adjunct teaching in Old Testament uh, here at Dallas. So um, I'm a huge fan of storytelling. It's one of the things that kind of Venn diagrams into my academic, personal, and even ministry context, but which is kind of what might explain why this guy ended up on this podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm uh, Matt Metcalf. Uh, I am a web developer for CT. Uh, that's what I, Christianity Today, that's what I do uh, for my day job. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, I'm watching Godzilla movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I have been uh, a super fan of the of Godzilla since I was a kid, five years old. Uh, I, it, uh, Big yeah. G has been my heart and soul, and uh, that's the whole reason that I'm here. <laughs> Guys, Matt has been hyped up for the past few weeks as we've been sort of planning this episode. So I have super high expectations in a good way. You know, one of the things we love is uh, we obviously love horror movies in general. We think there's some things that uh, the best horror movies can communicate. And uh, we also like having guests on who have a passion for either a specific movie or a series. Um, and so, Matt, we're, we're really excited that you're here. Uh, Sam, we're excited that you're here as well. And so we're going to dive into – you heard it uh, a few seconds ago – we're going to dive into the original 1954 Godzilla, which is uh, a classic, probably an understatement. It's probably one of the most legendary movies, uh, definitely horror movies, but movies overall. We're going to do a deep dive. We're going to settle in for a little bit on the original movie, and then we're going to sort of expand into the Godzilla universe, talk a little, more, a little bit more about lore, mythology, that kind of thing. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to just dive in. Um, as we always say every episode, if you have never seen Godzilla before, you absolutely need to start with the 1954 version. It's the the first one. It's the uh, the original. It's playing right now on uh, Max, which was formerly known as HBO Max. I was actually a little surprised to find it there, um, but they've got the, the 54 version and they've got a couple of the sequels that came right after it. So um, if you have a – It's also free on YouTube. That's true. Yeah, Chris. So you can watch yeah. it at work. Every time, I, every time I'm like, you can watch this movie here. Chris is like, it's free on YouTube, and my brain says I need to cancel all my subscriptions, <laughs> and then I don't. <laughs> so I need to make a note it's to also myself on the to cancel archive, all my so. subscriptions. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, seriously. <laughs> so give it a watch, guys. Uh, you definitely want to pause us here, watch the movie, then come back and give us a listen. Again, our our goal is to enhance your viewing experience, not replace it. So. Uh, definitely give it a watch. Take the hour and 40 minutes to watch it. It's well worth it. Um, and then come back and give us uh, a listen. As we usually do, Chris is going to give us a couple minute synopsis on what Godzilla is, what it's about. And then we're just going to jump into a free flowing conversation. Uh, we'll probably just have Matt take it away for a little bit and just sort of give us all the things. So yeah, just melt us, melt our That's faces it. away. With That's it. Courage. I, I, I will need Sam's help for that. So That's it. The team yeah. effort, guys. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah, yeah. All right, Chris, take it away, man. Yeah, man. Um, so Godzilla. This is a 1954 uh, film. It's not the '56 uh, version that most people are familiar with, with uh, Raymond Burr. Um, 
that's a cool, pretty cool version too. But um, the 1954 version, um, it begins with just like uh, ships being destroyed near Odo Island. People quite aren't sure what's going on. Um, so um, reporters come out to investigate and the village people are saying it's this legendary creature called Godzilla. Um, there's this awesome scene where they're doing this dance ritual to kind of quell Godzilla. And the village elder, he pretty much goes, uh, just like, it's like, um, I remember the days when we sacrificed women to Godzilla. <laughs> it was like, Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, eventually, like, um, you know, Godzilla appears and, he, and Godzilla wreaks havoc, uh, destroying homes, killing people, um, killing the livestock. And the uh, Odo Island residents travel to Tokyo to demand help, assistance from the government. And the um, government sends a uh, paleontologist, Yamat, who's played by a very, very famous actor, Takashi Shimura, who's in a lot of uh, Akira Kurosawa films. Um, yeah, and they, you know, they, he, they, they, they see, I was going to say Dracula, they see Godzilla. Um, that'd be a really terrible crossover, but they see <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> and uh, the paleontologist, Yamane, he, he makes the case that um, Godzilla is a, an ancient creature who's been disturbed by um, natural, uh, <laughs> nuclear bomb testing. They, they say hydrogen bombs. And um, yeah, they, they, the government tries all these ways to um, destroy the monster, to destroy Godzilla. Um, but Yamane is really sad because he, he wants Godzilla to survive so they can do all these kinds of different tests. Um, but yeah, Godzilla wreaks havoc. And at the same time, um, Yamane's uh, colleague, uh, Serizawa, he developed this, um, this weapon called the um, Oxygen Destroyer which literally, you know, destroys oxygen and liquefies um, living things. And kind of just to uh, just make it brief, um, Japanese government tries all these things to stop Dracula and pretty much like nothing, nothing can stop it. And, um, you know, the hospitals and shelters are just getting filled with with, uh, the sick and uh, the injured. And a lot of people are suffering from radiation sickness because, you know, Godzilla is, um, you know, emanating uh, nuclear radiation. And um, so eventually, uh, Serizawa is convinced by uh, Yamani's daughter, Amiko, uh, who's engaged to Serizawa, but there's this interesting love triangle with um, um, a boatman named Okada, and uh, they they convinced uh, Serizawa to use the oxygen destroyer to killed Godzilla, but Serizawa is scared to bring it to um, the public's attention because he doesn't want this thing to be used to hurt people. And so, um, yeah, eventually they, he, Serizawa sacrifices himself and he, he like, you know, chooses to die. So the knowledge of the oxygen destroyer and how it works dies with him. And so Godzilla is destroyed. And so, yeah, that's pretty much how, how, how it ends. But um, I, Yamane, um, you know, th- there's this ominous ending where they, they think Godzilla could rise again if they keep continuing using nuclear weapons. And spoiler alert, uh, more Godzillas do appear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <What> <laughs> uh, 
So, <clears throat> so I, I guess my, my first thought, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. My first thought is that it's very different than the, than the presentation of Godzilla in this first movie is very different than a lot of the sequels. Right. Um, I remember from when I was a kid, you know, you, you get on, you, you know, regular television, network television on a, like a a Sunday, you know, rainy Sunday afternoon kind of thing. And they're playing, you know, three or four Godzilla movies. And I remember there being a lot of like slapstick sort of, uh, sort of funny, almost comedic approach to Godzilla. He's sort of this, I don't say bumbling, but he, so he sort of has that feel to him. This one was very different. This the original movie is very different. Um, I, I don't know that he's so much a villain, but he has a sort of villainous tone quality to him. And so, yeah, that, that, that's my initial thought is that the movie's a little bit, it, it feels like a little bit of a tragedy when you watch it. Um, Godzilla's this, they're, they're fearful of Godzilla. He's not saving the earth. He's not, you know, fighting against, uh, you know, he's not this anti-hero. He's, he's this scary figure in the public eye. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's that's my thought. I don't have a question there. <laughs> it just sort of well, ended in that statement. <laughs> yeah. No, 100 percent. And yeah, I would say that anyone who I've talked to uh, about the original Godzilla film that's not seen it and is only familiar with those later Showa era 1970s films or later. Yeah. They're always very surprised when I tell them how somber of a movie it is. It, the movie is very um dark and heavy uh, almost from the beginning like the the title sequence leading into the movie it's just godzilla's roar and his footsteps and like throughout the entire movie it's just this restrained sense of just sorrow um sure. and it, you can tell that the people that made this movie were pouring uh, a lot of their own emotional uh, processing over the atomic uh weapons that they lived through and the, the after effects of that. So it, and it was very much the heart and soul of the film is meant to be an allegory um, of that. And, and producer uh, Tomiyuki Tanaka, he actually got the idea uh, for creating this film by the bikini atoll accident that happened, the H bomb testing there with the lucky dragon number five, which is why that first scene of the movie, it starts off with a fishing boat, like disappearing in the ocean, uh, because it, it was inspired by those real life events of H bomb testing. So yeah, it, it is, it's a heavy film and it, it carries a, a really stark and important message that, uh, a lot of people don't assume because of those later films. So yeah, that's that's helpful. Um, we were talking before we hit record that the movie, it, you know, it, it was produced less than ten years, just short of ten years um, from the end of World War II. And so, you know, I can think back ten years ago, nine years ago, to things that happened in my own life on a, on a much smaller scale, right, like an individual scale. Um, but when you when you look at world history, world events, right. 10 years ago was no time at all. And so the emotions, the fear, the, those things were palpable. You can almost get a sense that, um, you know, to some degree, some folks may not have actually been acting all that much that they may have actually just been processing their own, you know, trauma, their own fear, their own, their own history in 
on camera in real time. And so um, I thought that was a unique element in the movie. Um, it almost made – I think the emotion I felt – and maybe we could talk about that. The emotion I felt watching the movie was uh, really like this deep empathy for the characters on the screen. Um knowing the history of sort of what this movie represents and the message it's trying to send. Um, it just was, there was a sorrow, like a lament that I felt watching it. Um, and so I don't know if you guys had similar experiences or similar thoughts or feelings, but um, what, what are your thoughts on that? So um, I think, what, you know, kind of, yeah, we, we kind of started this conversation before recording, but um, for me, um, there were aspects of that that were very hard because the imagery in the film actually brought me back to images that I've seen of Korea after the Korean War because my parents lived through that. And so I've seen photos of like major cities in Korea just raised to the ground and the destruction and the just the desolation of that. And I'm just thinking, and we didn't have to deal with any kind of atomic weaponry as part of that horror. And so absolutely people who don't. So I'm going to just say this to even start my reflection on this movie is that um, in a way, the popularity of Godzilla as a franchise, as a cultural icon, dilutes that first movie in some ways because people don't realize that that was an incredibly serious piece of movie making. They don't realize how much actual like state of the art filmmaking went into that and how, how much of an art artistic effort that really was because they're a little bit jaded by some of the more comical or just commercial commercialized like um, aspects of Godzilla today. Um, so I, I would just say this couple of things that resonated for me in that. Um, I re, um, in recent years, I have become more familiar with um, the both Hiroshima and Nagasaki through in te- in, in, interestingly, through the work of um, Makoto Fujimura. So if you don't know Mako Fujimura, he's an amazing, renowned artist. Um, he's also a Christian who has written this book called Silence and Beauty, which is actually a companion piece to Shisak Endo's uh, famous book, Silence, which is uh, one of the more powerful literary works on theodicy and, and just kind of question of evil theology, things like that. And in, in his book, Silence and Beauty, Mako does this wonderful job of taking you to the horrors of post-nuclear Japan and kind of taking you into the horrors of what an actual atomic bomb attack looks like in, in this very real context. Because here's the crazy thing, guys. We live in a world that's been nuclear now, and it's going on 70 years, and yet those two cities are really the only cities who have ever actually suffered a nuclear attack to this day, which tells you something just even from a humanity and human nature standpoint, it must have been horrific that no one else has done this since then. It's it, And so that's kind of the context in which I rewatched it recently. And there is a, are a couple of scenes where after the night attacks and they're just doing these wide panoramic shots of the city in flames 
And I, I suspect this was intentional, but some of the framing of those shots actually look suspiciously very much like famous pictures of both Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the atomic bombs fell. And so I... I'm, everything you guys are saying, I'm just 100% reinforcing. This was a very much a morality uh, mo- movie. It was a morality play exploring the depths of the darkness of nuclear weaponry and what it means for mankind. And there's definitely a very self-conscious victim identity amongst the Japanese people that is represented in the filmmaking. Um, And this is also something that goes into why the 1956 version with Raymond Burr is such a different film. Um, The other thing I thought was uh, phenomenal about this movie is... um, that it was meant to be, it wasn't meant to be a B movie, although some people see it as a B movie. And I, I think, again, it's kind of an injustice to the suitmation technology, which was phenomenal. I mean, you have to go back and watch this understanding what else was in the cinematic world in 1954. And when you put it in that context, that filmmaking is terrifying. Um, and it's it's excellent. Um, it's it's frightening. So uh, we just I think we lose sight of that originally before Godzilla became our buddy and our friendly hero and and the, the savior of Earth. He really was. And and here's the other thing. He was much more Frankenstein's monster. Um, that's a I think people miss that link. See, Frankenstein's monster wasn't malevolent as much as he was this brutish innocent. And that's really who Godzilla is. That's why the death scene of Godzilla is actually very filled with pathos. They do not make that a triumphant killing. It's actually seen as, wow, uh, this is a loss on all. Like, yeah, the human toll is horrific, but it's not like killing this creature just gives us the satisfaction to our bloodlust. So I think um, he was always meant to be less an emotional creature and more a force of nature, like a hurricane. Um, And so uh, that is the interesting, real quick note on that, and then I'll just kind of open it up here, is that uh, to this day, Toho, if they licensed Godzilla, when they licensed him to Legendary, they said one of the conditions was you cannot um, give him anthropomorphic features. Like you cannot humanize him. You can do whatever you want with Kong. Kong belongs to y'all. But Godzilla is ours, and he must remain a emotionless kind of force of nature. And that's why in, even in the Godzilla versus Kong movie, you can see that stark contrast in how the two monsters play off each other. Kong's very human. He's He's got a lot of emotion and, and you feel for him. Whereas Godzilla, even when he's kind of on our side, you still don't feel this... He's meant to be this detached killing machine, this monster, this apex creature. And they soften him a little bit by using tropes like, well, he's just defending his world. And so in the process, he defends us kind of thing. But so, yeah, there's a whole lot more there. But I I just want to kind of share those thoughts as as far as just why I love this movie. And by the way, um, if you can, it is if you're more of a movie buff, I would highly recommend the Criterion Collection version of this, even over a streaming version, because it's just such a beautiful digital print of the movie. But yeah, 
YouTube even, you can still get it. But anyway, yeah, as you guys can tell, this movie <laughs> made a big impression on me and I'm still just to this day a huge fan. And by the way, um, a lot of people will say things that are anachronistic, like, oh, it's got Jaws-like elements. I'm like, yeah, but they did that 20 years before <laughs> right. Jaws. So exactly. Let's not get exactly. it twisted. Yeah. And, Idiot. And like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just some of the stuff about, wow, you don't see Godzilla for a long time, and it just makes the shock even greater. I'm like, they, they're the ones right. who perfected that. You know, they... Yeah. So before, yeah, sometimes we call that the Jaws technique, yeah. but really, yeah. Anyway, no, no, that's, hey, that's yeah. great. Well, I think it's important to just note, even when um, Steven Spielberg was making um, Jurassic Park, he relied on Godzilla um, as like a source right. of inspiration for like how he framed the for the dinosaurs yeah. too. Even though he watched the right. '56. Version. Well, yeah, and that's like going back to what Sam was saying. This movie holds up so well because it really was cutting edge for its time. And uh, yeah. Subraya, the effects director, who's known as like the the grandfather or godfather of special effects in Japan, he wanted to use model animation like King Kong because King Kong had come out a few years before, and that was like a huge inspiration for Tanaka uh, as well as well as Twenty Thousand, the Beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms uh, as like uh, make, wanting to make a monster movie but because of just the uh, lack of, of resources that the japanese cinematic world had compared to hollywood there was just no way with budget and time constraints for them to use model animation so they had to like pioneer this whole new kind of way of making movies that just set off a, a spark that you know united 50 years of japanese monster movie making and so yeah, miniatures and suitmation, especially here in the West, oftentimes was just dragged as really cheap and cheesy and uh, not really and kind of looked down upon and not respected for the the art and the craft that it really is. Uh, and especially in, in the first Godzilla film, uh, you can really feel the weight and the sense uh, of this of this creature as he's lumbering across the screen. It's not. Uh, in some ways, I think it was a, a benefit to them that they use suits as opposed to model animation because you and the fact that the suit itself was so difficult to walk in, uh, it made it made ensure that it wasn't like a human walking across the screen, but it really did feel like this giant lumbering creature. And yeah, uh, Ashiro Honda, the director, he has a great quote where uh, he says that monsters are born too big and too tall. Um, and that is their tragedy is like these, these creatures are truly tragic beings because they're just, they're, they're just there to exist in the world. And we see them as a threat and we see them as a problem to be solved, but really they're, they're just creatures that are in the world. And as Sam said, forces of nature. Um, and so I think that Godzilla, even in the design, uh, like his skin, his skin is, was made to resemble the kind of radiation burning that uh, a radiation victim would have suffered in the fallout of uh, Nagasaki or Hiroshima. And and so, yeah, he is truly meant to be uh, a tragic being in this film and not something that while he does seem threatening and villainous, like he himself is not acting out of maliciousness. Uh, 
And if anything, he's kind of a reminder to us as we watch the film that there are forces outside of humanity's control, that there's things bigger than us, uh, that if we're not careful with the way that we, uh, you know, position our hubris, then those things will come back on us. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I guess the the other maybe major special effect approach would have been what? Stop motion? Yeah. Around that yeah. time? Yeah. Ray Harryhausen. Um, that's right. what they wanted. Okay. But yeah. As Matt said, it was just not cost right. effective because the sheer amount of film you had to shoot to get that. But I, I agree with Matt. It's a it's a really fortunate happenstance of history that they couldn't afford it. Because looking back, um, looking at Godzilla and imagining him coming across the screen like that uh, lizard in 20,000 fathoms beneath the sea, or you would definitely feel like it feels cheesy, I think. And so ironically, even though we make fun of Suitmation, it actually made Godzilla terrifying for that time period. Um, Another one real quick angle, I thought it's just real relevant because we're about to get the opening of Oppenheimer in the theaters. And I don't think we um, appreciate enough just how good this cast was. So obviously, yeah, you mentioned um, uh, Yamane was played by a famous actor, which gave them that cast a little bit more weight. But I'll tell you who was just shines in this movie is Akiko Hirata as Serizawa, because he is Oppenheimer, but he's the anti-Oppenheimer because in a way, the, the Japanese pull a little bit of a moral high horse because they say, our guy's not like your guy. Instead of actually making the bomb that burns the world to the ground, our guy sacrifices himself to save people. And there's even a little bit of just um, kind of really cool metaphor at play with the fact that his weapon is an oxygen destroyer as opposed to a fusion weapon which explodes things. This is, it destroys oxygen. So it's kind of like almost the opposite of a hydrogen bomb. So you know, just I think Sarazawa is just this fascinating character. He's tortured and they really play it up almost to the point. It's a little ham fisted at times, but you have to. It, it was their way to say that he, the real monster here might actually be Oppenheimer and not Godzilla. And our guy is not going to go that route. So anyway, I, I think it's just an important facet to kind of follow if you're watching the movie for the first time. I, I definitely think knowing some of the or reading on some of the, the background, the cultural, the historical background of the movie changes the way you watch it. Um, you know, if I were, if I were to, you know, tonight go in and say, Hey guys, you know, to my kids, Hey, we're going to watch Godzilla, the original from 54 and not give them any context and just say, Hey, we're going to watch it. Right. They may walk away with a completely different view of the movie. Right than I did going in having read up on some of the context, some of the background. Um, it sort of gave me uh, it. It sort of primed the emotional pump a little bit for me to sit there and get a sense of feeling as I was watching it. Um, and I, I wonder if the ideal way is to to sort of prepare yourself for movies like this rather than just looking at it as pure entertainment to fill an hour and a half. But to really, to really look at film, a film like this, as a means of communication, not just you know, let's just waste idle time that we have, or we can you know, we can fill idle time with. And so I, I don't know. I felt like 
overall, I actually thought, you know, the movie's going to be 70 years old here and soon enough. And uh, special effects wise, I, so I watched Jason and the Argonauts not that long ago, uh, maybe a couple months back. And, you know, the movie is just full of stop motion, you know, animation. And it's great, right? Cutting edge for its time, 1963. But I almost feel like something would have been lost if they would have had a chance to use stop motion versus suitmation. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, some of the miniatures, like when they're on the on the cruise ship, you ha- you if you look close enough, you see okay, that's a, that's definitely a miniature, but it's really well done. Uh, I'll be honest, watching some of the uh, the buildings burn, I knew it intuitively those are miniatures but i i felt a sense of angst watching it because i i knew yes they're miniatures but they're representative of something else <laughs> yeah well I'll, I'll add on to that uh and i'll say this is something that i've really felt strongly about for a long time is that in the west we have uh just trended more and more towards CGI. Like CGI is the standard bearer now for special effects in the West and has been for decades. Uh, and I think there's a time and place for it. I think it's great, but we, we lose something. I feel like when all of our effects are digital and the miniature uh, set and the way that these movies are made, there's they're grounded in a sense of reality. Reality, yeah. Even though That's they're right. portraying things that are fantastical, there's a sense that they're grounded and that they feel more real in a, in a certain sense. And, I mean, you you have to suspend your disbelief, but you have to do that with any movie, no matter how good the CGI is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I think because of the way Western audiences, audiences have been trained, they have instinctively thought that, oh, if, if you're using miniatures using practical effects a lot of times that means it's lower budget but that's not always necessarily the case and even if it's lower budget that doesn't mean that it's lower quality or that it's not the same kind of craftsmanship it's just a different kind of craft and so i i i feel like like this was a this was a discussion i was having uh with kids you know when i was in elementary school and middle school. I was like, why do you watch those cheesy Godzilla movies? I was like, they're great. Why do you not watch them? You know? And so, uh, yeah. So it's, this, this is a conversation I've been having for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Lord knows there's, there's been a bunch of big budget, high CGI movies that have just been trash. Right. right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Just absolutely terrible. I movies. mean, the flash, it just came out <laughs> last month and it had some of the worst CG that I've seen in yeah. a long time, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It, and the box office numbers are showing that it's in uh, fact, not a yeah. great product. Either. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's probably an S. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Too, but, yeah. uh, but you did see this too, this kind of recognition even amongst, so like a lot, when you, when you started hearing interviews with all the different directors that came in for the MCU movies, um, several of them made the point that within reason, they tried to have as much practical work in there because they knew their movies were out of necessity, mostly CG. And, but they, they said that there were certain impact scenes that they just had to go to the extra mile to do practically, because even now there's still this, 
tiny, it, the uncanny valley has shrunk quite a bit. It's almost like an uncanny like ditch at this point, but it's still there. And so I think even the best filmmakers, even in the West, given the option, love to do practical over CG. It's just that it's sometimes not possible to stage some of the sequences. So, um, and one quick note on the modeling. I do think there's a cultural subtext here that's really fascinating because if you look at uh, model hobbying in Japan, it is, I'm not saying Americans don't have this modeling hobby as well, but it's a different almost culture that surrounds it. There is this almost mania and obsession with capturing miniatures and this is not has nothing to do with making movies it's just when you look at the modeling scale modeling hobby industry in japan it is serious stuff and people invest a lot of time and effort into getting it's an art form to them and so there's something to them gorgeous about rendering into like a one 160th scale like a mecca or something that would be like 80 feet tall in real life and so the the degree to which they go in their detailing and their meticulous artwork, I think that's there's something cultural there. I think they really do see this as this is not about cost saving. This is about high art when we make these cities. And and you can see the pride in them being able to have these F-86 models on strings launching like little fireworks uh, to simulate airplanes attacking this giant beast. And so I, I think we just I think there's a cross-cultural dynamic that we sometimes lose when we have these conversations about East versus West when it comes to like filmmaking. And and so I think it's just worth noting that that is something that you do see. I agree. And I will say, I think it has heartened me that it's taken a long time. It's taken many years, but I do feel like the Godzilla franchise and particularly the 1954 film has gotten the respect that it has long deserved um in in the west in america uh like it's it's been interesting since the legendary films have come out just how more prevalent godzilla it just is in general like in the mind's eye of american pop culture and and i feel like it he's just become more popular it's become more popular to watch the other godzilla films uh, so it's it's been good to see that and to see that, you know, outside of like true film nerds, that there is more recognition that's being given to this film series and just the the genre in general. So that's that's been good to see. Here's a dumb, a dumb question. Hey, let's. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Go ahead. Yeah. So I I could be wrong. I, I sort of uh, interpreted the. Godzilla himself as an analogy or a metaphor for the United States. Is that is that a fair and apt comparison or is that too much of a reach? I would I I mean I'll let you weigh in here Sam too, but I would say that the United States is not what Godzilla is meant to uh symbolize. He's he's a symbol of first the, the force of nature the the fact that there are forces outside of humanity's control and the how that intersects with the atomic bomb and man's hubris and the fact that we think that we can control such forces but ultimately those forces will destroy us 
even though we we feel like we have control over them. Um, and and so that the tragedy and the the, the hubris uh, that is represented in, in nuclear weapons, and just like the overarching force of nature, um, like Sam said, a hurricane earlier. That's that's what Godzilla symbolizes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, do you, what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I, I agree with Matt. I think that you see this in the way they do reference the U.S. And that's and it's very clear that they attribute more moral agency to the U.S. as far as blame goes uh, than to Godzilla. And that's because I think they want to keep Godzilla as the neutral. He's the he's basically the he's the embodiment of consequence. Um, whereas the U.S. is the actual moral actor within this drama. So they do reference it's the U.S. that did the testing. And as Matt said, it is based on that very real life tragedy where this fishing boat, several members of that crew ended up dying of radiation poisoning because they were exposed to fallout from this hydrogen bomb test at Bikini Atoll. So, um, yeah, the U.S. is kind of in the background of this film as they're really more yes, the moral yeah. monsters. And then Godzilla is the embodiment of consequence and a force. Right, of which is why the Raymond Burr edit exists. <laughs> <laughs> because they took one Man, look at this film. I love that I, version. And, you know, I, I hate, I was, that was the version I saw when I was a kid. That was the version that I fell in yeah. love with because I didn't know any different. And so I still have a nostalgia for that movie. But man, when I actually was older and I saw the original film, I realized just how much they changed the overall tone of the film by just inserting Raymond Burr. And it's interesting because he shot all of his scenes in one day, like it like one 24 hour period, like in one little studio in LA. And like the, the recut was completely done in like three days. So they spent very little time like inserting him into the film. Um, and that kind of shows if you really look for it, but yeah, it's it's an interesting cultural artifact that we have these two very different temp, uh, films in terms of tone, and the, the whole like reasons for that it, it just very obvious once you see the original film. So, yeah, it's good. Chris, any thoughts? Um, I mean, I I, I had a question. I mean, I I also kind of want to explore just the greater like um, genre with, with kaiju films because it just spurred so many. Um, yeah, even like uh, I was thinking, because my first introduction to this, to Godzilla was the the animated series that came out in the 70s. Oh, uh, yes, Hanabara, I Godzilla love that. Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it even uh, influenced the Power Ranger yeah. uh, TV shows because, you know, they use the uh, Sudmations with, with the Zords and the monsters. And so... Yeah, Matt, could you tell us more about just the, the genre? Yeah, and uh, Sam, feel free to jump in here too. But yeah, so the genre is called uh, takusatsu, uh, which that's like the official like Japanese term for it. And uh, it, Godzilla was like the genesis of all of it. Uh, Subraya went on to found his own uh, studio, which later produced Ultraman and other uh, giant monster uh <laughs> films yeah. and Toho, you know, after Godzilla, they created Mothra and Rodan, and and so yeah. on. And so that this was the 1954 film is really what started it all. And and so yeah, that and it's funny you mentioned Power Rangers because that's actually 
kind of uh, an Americanized version of a Japanese series called Super Sentai. So, yeah, yeah and it, that's a little bit analogous to the way they make King of Monsters with Raymond Burr, but a, a little bit more respect yeah. in, the, in that. But yeah, so <laughs> the genre itself, uh, it all started with this film and the like Ishiro Honda, Subraya, and uh, Tomio uh, Tanaka, he, like those three were like the catalyst for everything that came after it. Um, so yeah, it all, it all started here. And Sam, is there anything else you would add? Yeah. So I think it's really cool to kind of see the evolution of the genre because, um, what started out as an intensely horrific, it was, it truly was a horror film. So you guys are absolutely right to include the original 54 Godzilla in this podcast. But what happened was with everything in life, it seems like capitalism creates <laughs> this hard swing yeah because and here's what happened people were incredibly fascinated with godzilla the actual creature like instead of being this repulsive beast that people would hate and people were actually like audience reaction especially in japan was we're kind of sad he died. Like like Yamane's poor point of view becomes this audience reaction. So, of course, they're just like, well, dang it, we can monetize this. So they're making like a sequel just a few years later. And Godzilla is still kind of bad. And it's really by the time you get to the end of the Showa or the peak Showa with Godzilla, like versus Megalon versus Gigan, And like it reaches like its glorious climax with like destroy all <laughs> monsters. But you're seeing like he's yeah. now the hero and, and people love him. And so there's this really fascinating thing that and so that's they they go hard right into well we're going to turn this into a franchise and now it's no longer any of those things so um but um i grew up like matt just falling in love with these movies because i'm older than you guys i'm the old head in this room but i was uh, exposed to godzilla in detroit they used to do this thing called monster week and it would be called creature features so once a year, they would just run straight from Monday through Friday. The afternoon movie on this local station would be different Godzilla movies. So I did not actually see Godzilla as my first Godzilla movie. My first Godzilla movie ever was actually against that giant lobster. Which, uh, it was like Godzilla versus yeah, the horror from yeah, the yeah. deep. Ebra, yeah. <laughs> and so... so but I remember as a kid, it just absolutely captured my yeah. imagination. And so, and that led me, that was my gateway drug to Ultraman. And I became this huge Ultraman fan. And and so I do think what's really cool is how it spawned this genre. And you kind of see the apex of that fan love in Guillermo del Toro. When he did the first Pacific Rim, that was a labor of love. That is a master of the horror genre saying this stuff is good and we can have some fun with it. And I love that he was non-ironic in just showing a, a, a giant uh, robot with a rocket elbow punch, you know, and that he used the actual term kaiju in the movie. It's and so I, I think it's really cool how this genre has taken off. In fact, I would say one of the backhanded tributes to the incredible power of Godzilla as a cultural artifact is Gamera. Daiei was a second-rate studio in Japan. They had no business even being in the same place. It's, it's like Toho was pretty 
Lil had a little more credibility, but Daye was like, they just, it was a money grab. And so they come up with this cheap imitation, a turtle, um, and Gamera is slapstick. That's why so many like mystery science theater best episodes are like Gamera movies. But now there are these modern kind of like Heisei era, like Gamera films that are Mad, uh, forgive uh, me. <laughs> Almost better no. than some of the Hayes. No, it's true. It's true. They're, they're very good. They're very Dude, good. That that yeah. yeah, that trilogy, Gamron Guardian yes. of the Universe, Gamera versus Iris, and all the, those films, in terms of just pure kaiju film genre, those might be better than the Heisei era Godzilla films. Now, maybe yeah. not overall, but anyway. Gamera is a tribute to the power of this genre because it really should never have worked. But the fact that the audiences were just so hungry for it that they would even consume Gamera to the point where Gamera kind of has its own cult following, that tells you a lot. Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, it it pays me to say that. But yes, those Gamera (laughs) era films are very good. And I, I have to give them their props because uh, you're right. But there, there would be no Gamera without Godzilla. And like my whole, the way I feel about Godzilla as a cultural artifact and pop culture figure, it's he's definitely shifted and morphed and, and taken on these different images and roles over uh, the course of the, some, let's see, it's 33 Japanese films now. Uh, and I think five American films. So that's like 38 films in total. So that's a lot of movies. And uh, this, uh, outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think it's the longest running. It's the, the longest running in terms of time of uh, franchise in cinematic history. But MCU might have beaten them out now on the number of films. I'm not sure yet. But over that course of time, you know, there's there was going to be changes, obviously. But it's it's this interesting... Uh, multi-layered kind of character that is formed as, as a result of these uh, after spanning nearly 70 years and 38 films um, Godzilla means so many different things to so many different people and he can be all of those things at once in a weird way uh, he is both a like horrific analogy for the atomic bomb and nuclear weaponry and the fallout of that and he's also uh, the hero that saves the day and does flying drop kicks into a giant beetle that was sent by exactly uh, I mean he's both of those things like those there's a tension that's held there and those, both of those things are true of him as a character uh, and I mean it's interesting because Tanaka the producer he who really was the heart and soul and he was the, the one that created Godzilla. He's the one that pushed for all the Showa era and even the Hesai era movies to be made. He said that he later regretted returning Godzilla into like this, the kitty hero um, as a cash grab. Uh, and that's why the Hesai era films like take a darker turn. That's why the return of Godzilla, Godzilla 1984 is such a shift uh, back into that darker tone. And so, yeah, it's just like there's this tension that's held throughout the, the character's history. Um, and it, it's, it's great because he, it, there's so many layers to him. He's, he's the, the bumbling Hanna-Barbera, like cartoon Godzilla. He's also the, the horror of Atomic War Godzilla. And so 
uh, I think both aspects to him have uh, a quality that we can appreciate without losing the other side. Uh, and, and that's difficult to do, I think, sometimes because, uh, you know, the f- original film and the original film's message is so heavy and deep. And, and, and I think that one is the one that he should always be rooted in. We should never lose sight of that as his origin. And I think that's why, like, Shin Godzilla is su- such an important film. And honestly, I would rank it. Yeah, I yes, wanted to bring it, that up. It is probably, outside of the f- original film, the best film in the Godzilla series because it brings the character so much back into that frame. Uh, and it does so to uh, analyze and to talk about another tragedy that has happened to the Japanese people, which the Fukushima nuclear uh, reactor disaster. And the, like, the, like the whole film is about the government's response to that or lack and like the bureaucracy and how like laughable the bureaucracy was that trying to respond to this uh, like emergency that was uh, really affecting the lives of Japanese people. So, yeah. And so that's why I love Godzilla as a character is because there's so many layers to him. There's, you can have fun and you can also really uh, just think deeply about what humanity's place is in this world and what it means to be someone who cares about creation. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a very strong environmental message in a lot of Godzilla films. Uh, Godzilla versus Hedera, if you guys have not seen it. Oh, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the smog, smog monster, monster is like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it is one of the trippiest Great. Godzilla films. It's, it's very 70s, yeah. <laughs> but it's... Yeah. It's got that yeah commentary on 60s right. counterculture. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a whole... Yeah. But, yeah, I'm with Matt. I think the beauty of Godzilla for me is that I'm 50 something years old and, and and like it's grown. I've never outgrown him because he evolves. Like as a kid, I loved fun Godzilla teaming up with like Jet Jaguar to save the day. But as an adult, I'm I'm watching the 54 film and just being emotionally it's emotionally evocative even at my age so it's cool there's things about godzilla too that i just are inexplicable to me from a culture phenomenon standpoint um i think it's just amazing because you look at all the different monster movies from that era and it's just like no one else has had this type of phenomenon like we don't really like Frankenstein's monster, I guess some to some degree you can kind of argue like he ends up on a cereal box as Frankenberry and we've seen iterations of him that people have fun with. Same with Dracula. So all those golden era horror films did have a little bit of this, but um, no one's taking Ray Harryhausen's dinosaurs or any of these creatures and even Jurassic Park, the closest thing you have is the T-Rex. It's kind of become this iron, iconic dinosaur among the dinosaurs, but even doesn't really have a name. Um, and it's it's just so I do think there's some things about the Godzilla and the Gaiju phenomenon that I don't really have an explanation for. I just I'm just so glad, though, that it's happened. I just think it's for me as a as a kid and then growing up, it's just been really cool. And I love that today. Um, it's still going strong. Like they are still making new Ultraman shows and movies. Um, 
and, and they're wild and, and it, that's a whole different rabbit hole. But, you know, and like you guys said, you know, uh, Guillermo del Toro kind of gave us a nice kiss. The legendary movies are fun. Like I, I don't hate on them the same way I did the 98 TriStar, you know, uh, debacle. Godzilla. Um, but even I though legend, one. Man, we could go <laughs> down a real rabbit trail. With I went one. and saw it. On, <laughs> yeah. That's a separate episode. Yeah. If y'all ever want to do yes, it, man, yes. invite us God. back. But yeah, I, I, yeah, just we, me and Matt, I think like we kind of connected because we were like, oh, wow, this dude on social media loves Godzilla right. as much as I do, which is kind of weird. Like there's not too many of yeah, us. So yeah. Cool. Like I said, especially before the legendary movies came out, it was like no one was talking about Godzilla movies. Here I was live tweeting Godzilla movies. And Sam was like, oh, this guy, who's what's going on with him? And I was like, oh, you love Godzilla movies, too? OK, well, then we will be friend, best friends. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh. So if so, for someone who's who's maybe just wanting to, you know, let's say they listen to this episode or they watch the movie, listen, and they're wanting to get into it, right? You mentioned thirty-eight movies, right? Five American movies. Can you give us a? And I realize this is like purely subjective. Can you give us a top five Godzilla movies to watch in either some kind of order, or you just need to watch these five to sort of encapsulate? that encapsulates the idea, the heart of Godzilla, what, what these movies really are about. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tall order, but we can give it a shot. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll say this, I'm, I'm really partly asking for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll let Sam go first. Do you get, you got an answer, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll just give you, and this is so off the top of my head. So, you know, this could change tomorrow, but I would say I would, I would begin with 54 because I think you have to see that one for context. Like it'll, then you can compare everything else to it. I would say if you're more doing this because you're like a cinemaphile and you want to really do more of that kind of dive, I would say Shin has to be next. Shin Godzilla. Um, was that 2016, Matt? Yeah, I think it I was think 2016. So. But yeah. So Shin Godzilla is it is the hardest self-conscious effort to rediscover 54 um, that Toho has made. So you want to watch it. And Matt, and what Matt said is absolutely true. It's again kind of a morality play, but it's not about the horrors of nuclear weaponry. It's about the ineptitude of government. And so I, I remember seeing reviews of the movie where I'm like, you guys don't get this because people were like, why is there so much talking in this movie? Why is there so much scenes yeah. of like government yeah. officials? And I'm like, that's the satire. That I mean, that's really kind of the heart of what this movie, it's actually very brilliant. But I would say Shin's cool because he's kind of the return to the force of nature faceless um, because what the Showa era movies had, which is the 50s, 60s, 70s is Godzilla increasingly becomes more like goofy looking. Like they pronounce his eyes almost to like Muppet level. And he starts to do the talking and communicating. So, but, and it's fun. That's what hooked me as a kid. So I don't want to just completely disregard those. So I would say Godzilla 54 and Shin, if you want to do the hardcore cinema file thing, then I would watch 56 with Burr. And, and just, it's a great contrast to see, oh, this is how they made this movie work for Americans who did not want to be beaten over the head with the nuclear war bully pulpit. Um, 
But if you want to just kind of get a feel for the good natured fun that brought so many fans in as kids, I would say the next one for me is Destroy All Monsters because it is kind of like the ultimate crossover because um, they were building their monster verse during this time because they introduced Rodan and Mothra separately. They weren't in Godzilla movies. And then you had these kind of secondary kaiju like Anguirus or Anzilla that were in the second Godzilla movie, but then becomes kind of more of a character. But you also see this developing dynamic of now Godzilla is the unabashed hero of Earth mm-hmm. to the point where we're fighting aliens now and they've got their own kaiju champion in Ghidra. So um, that one's a fun one to capture the whole, you could kind of wrap up 70s Heisei or Showa era in Destroy All Monsters. I would say then, like, honestly, I would throw in a legendary movie because it's one of the better attempts to do a Western Godzilla that honors the spirit and heart of the original Toho. Because um, that's why I think Toho signed off, because they go, okay, you guys are serious about this. You're not going to take Godzilla and turn him into an iguana. So we are going to give you the green light, but we do have some stipulations. We got burned. So here are the conditions. So um, there's some debate as to which one I would watch, but I would probably either watch the first or the second because King of the Monsters was a little disappointing for me, but Rodan, Ghidra, and Mothra are gorgeous in that movie. So it's, it's worth watching maybe just to see the the apex of like CGI Godzilla presented real well. And then final one for me is I would watch one of the um, millennium era films because again, they're trying to come back to the 54 spirit of Godzilla as a force in nature. So maybe Godzilla versus destroyer. Cause like, if you watch that one and you're a Godzilla fan, you get some feels because Godzilla, you know, ostensibly dies in that movie. Oh man, oh, sorry, no. spoiler alert. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he comes back. You know, he always, always comes another back. one. He always comes yeah, back. But, yeah. Yeah. But Godzilla versus Destroyer is a nice contrast. It's definitely not Showa goofiness. And it's kind of like you can see Toho trying to say, hey, we want to recapture right. this guy and kind of bring him back to what he was. So in that movie, he's the biggest, about as big as he'll ever be in any movies, because that's another thing about Godzilla. Every movie, the scale yeah. changes and he's a different size. But in Destroyer, he is yeah. humongous. And you kind of feel that on the screen. Um, and, and so there's... That one might be my. Yeah, he's so those also are like mine. glowing yeah. orange, so it's a, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stakes yeah. are pretty high in the movie. I love the Godzilla King of the Monsters because uh, the American version, he uh, the final battle takes yeah. place in Boston. Oh, nice. Where I live, it's such a random place for a <laughs> yeah. monster showdown. Right. Yeah, Fenway, yeah, yeah. And I also live ten minutes from right. uh, Fenway Park, so yeah. I would have died. But no. I don't know. That made me so excited yeah, for some no, reason. No, that's great. It does. Like, I'm sure people felt the same way about San Francisco, you know, in the first one. Uh, yeah. Uh, San Francisco felt right. more appropriate than That's true. Boston. That's true. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. Um, but, yeah, no, I, w- I would say of the legendary films, uh, King of the Monsters is my favorite just because it felt more like a hearkening back to the old school Showa films. Uh, there was a campiness and cheesiness there. But I think a lot of that was intentional. 
Uh, and yeah, there's just like the special effects and everything were beautiful. If you're going to do Godzilla in CGI, it was, it was well done. Uh, some of the night shots and stuff were a little hard to see, which they fixed in Godzilla versus Kong, I think. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it was of the legendary films, my favorite. Um, but as far as like top five, uh, like where to start, I, I'll take a little bit of a different angle than Sam, since he went like the, the film, uh, you know, a route to, of like trying to really like get into the, the origins of the character. I will, I mean, I'm going to have to say the 1954 original just off the bat. Cause like you have to start there. Like Sam said, um, and then after that, I would say go to like Godzilla versus Mothra. I think that's a re- or Mothra versus Godzilla is actually the the official title. Uh, that's the first introduction of like Godzilla and Mothra battling it out in the Showa era films, um, and I think it's one of the better Showa era movies in terms of just outside of the original. Uh, in terms of just overall direction and script and acting, it's just, it's a, it's a well done movie. And I think just a, a cornerstone of the series. Uh, and I think also yeah, one of the better films that Ashiro Honda directs for the series. Uh, and then after that, I would say uh, Invasion of Astro Monster, which is also a show ARL film, but it's um, the first time that Godzilla and Ghidorah who becomes like, Godzilla's like Joker. He's like the arch nemesis of Godzilla throughout the 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 film, uh, like throughout the series. That's like the first time that they meet. And um, well, actually, I'm going to back up. That's not the first time that they meet. The, the first time they meet is in um, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. The invasion of Astro Monster is still great though because uh it's just a really campy uh film there's lots of uh space and sci-fi elements to it uh they basically there's these aliens called the zillions that come to earth and like ask the uh, earth for help and like defeating Ghidorah. uh and they basically kidnap godzilla and rodan take them from earth to their planet planet x and get them to fight Ghidorah under a ruse. But then they mind control Godzilla and Rodan and bring them back to Earth and start trying to conquer Earth along with Ghidorah. And so it's just a really fun and campy film. And I also think one of the better Showa-era films. Um, And then after that, I would go uh, to the Hisai era, and I would say um, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah again, <laughs> because like, and, and what I'm going for here is like, if you want the real cheese, if you, if you want like the best of the best, the finest cheese in all the land, you watch, <laughs> you watch Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Cause like that movie is bonkers. It's bonkers. And there's elements of it that are just horrible, but that is what makes it great. And like it, and, and some of the set pieces, some of the battles between uh, Godzilla and King Ghidorah in that film are just really well done. And some of the best of the Hisai era, I think, uh, particularly when, when, like, spoiler alert, Ghidorah basically, Godzilla defeats Ghidorah, and then he comes back as a mechanical version of himself. And that's just like a, that's a, a hallmark, like, image of the, of the entire series is that battle between Mecha King Ghidorah and Godzilla. So... 
and it's just a bonkers movie. There's androids, there's aliens, there's time travel. Okay. Like it's a it's a roller coaster of a film. You just gotta strap in and enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> so and then the last one I would go with is to get a millennium era film in. Uh, I would I'll go with God, uh, GMK, which is Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, um, which is probably, in my opinion, the best Millennium film. Uh, and it also has the longest title of any <laughs> Godzilla movie, I think, because it's really Godzilla, Mothra, Ghidorah, giant monsters, all-out attack. Like, it's, it's the brevity <laughs> is, is not what they were going for in the name of that movie. But uh, it takes a, a little bit of a different spin on Godzilla. Godzilla is definitely uh, like a, a brooding and darker force in this film uh, and kind of sets uh, things a little bit on its head. Cause Ghidorah is kind of presented as like a protector. Like he's this ancient dragon that is like going to protect Japan from Godzilla, who is like the embodiment of the anger of Japanese soldiers that died in world war two. And like the, these soldiers believe that Japan is like forgetting the lessons that they should be as they should have learned from the tragedies of world war two. And like Godzilla is like the embodiment of these soldiers anger. And so it's, it's a little bit of a different spin on the characters, but it's still true uh, to the sense of who Godzilla is. And it's just a really well done and executed film. Uh, And I think one of the better millennium films, Uh, lots of great effects and the story is pretty great too. So uh, and <laughs> I will sneak one last one in here, and that's Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, which is one of my all-time favorites. It gets a lot of heat. A lot of people say it's not a great one, but to me, it's it's just it, the, the nostalgia. I used to watch that one all the time. It came on like HBO and Showtime when I was a kid, and I was just near and dear to my heart. It's uh, and Space Godzilla is just such a cool concept. Uh, and, and and design. So uh, for that reason, I have to throw that one out there. He's uh, basically what you take, like you take Godzilla's DNA, you throw him in a black hole, and for some reason you get Space Godzilla. <laughs> that is literally the orange story. That's literally the origin story. Like uh, I won't go into further detail because it wouldn't really help anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By, by the way, that's, that's within the this like subtext you'll see like starting in the Showa era where they kind of had the Kal-El problem right. with Godzilla because he's this undisputed just the king right. of the kaiju and so you kind of had to figure out creative new ways to make things yeah. hard for him so they started with the mecha godzilla character which has come back over and over and is now like a mainstay but like terror of mecha godzilla i remember as a kid it was like striking because Godzilla's getting shot with missiles and he's bleeding. I'm like, first right. time I'm watching these movies, I'm like, whoa, right. that's like blood spurting out of his neck. And I'm just like, that's intense. And so it made you feel like, oh, this time Big G's in trouble. Like they, they, <laughs> th- that's how you defeat him right. is with right. him. You know, it's like, I know it's a very common trope in a lot of movies and franchises, but that's, and so Space Godzilla is kind of a, next evolution of the only he can beat him like trope you know so it's fun yeah matt's right it's like a fun movie in that sense 
Final Wars is fun if you just yeah. need. Oh, no, Final Wars is great. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's just more of a. That's um, that's like Godzilla candy. <laughs> like it has no nutritional yeah. value, but <laughs> just just to see the Toho Godzilla whoop up on the yes. TriStar Godzilla yes. in that movie is really oh, fun yeah. because man, the, the Toho f- people are just absolutely trolling the heck out of the American yeah. Zilla, you know. So he like throws them into the uh, opera house in in, <laughs> and, in Australia. And obliterates right? <laughs> like, so ridiculous. The, the fight, <laughs> like one of the the, the shortest fights in cinematic history like he, he literally jumps at him he right. gets smacked and obliterated in 10 seconds it it was it was Dude, so I, great i think only only godzilla versus bambi is more lopsided <laughs> than that fight like in you're all right. of godzilla you're history right. i think you might be right <laughs> but that was so satisfying for Man, me to see told- as a godzilla fan yeah. who felt so like uh, like insulted by the Matthew Broderick incarnation of Godzilla, I was like, "Oh, this is justice finally coming home." <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it was great. And and I'd also just in reference to that in um, Godzilla 2000, which is the first Godzilla movie that uh, they uh, that Toho released after the TriStar film, uh, they talk about how like. Uh, Godzilla's been sighted in New York, but our guys aren't so sure that uh, that that's that's really uh, <laughs> the case. And so, like, the, there's like shots fired there of like, yeah. Man, did we miss anything, guys? Anything we we didn't cover that you want to cover? Oh well, we could sit here and talk the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're just well, we, getting started. We'll just make uh, it a part two. We'll do yeah. we'll do a part two episode at some point. Right, That's all. Right. Well, I, I do want to throw in like just for fun to like my closing thing is one real quick note is man, pay respects to the mm, score. Yes. That is just an incredibly legendary musical score um, that is almost as recognizable as anything John Williams Absolutely. has ever done. Um Ifukube's work and that. In fact, it's like I heard, I remember the first time I ever heard Pharaoh Monch's, like it's a hip hop song, and I'm hearing that as the bed for the beat. And I'm like, that is awesome. So, you know, like it shows you how even just wider cultures kind of picked up on the Ifukube score as just legendary music work. Um, but real quick, one thing I'm still, just as a kid, fan in me i here's what i'd love to see at this point as far as what could come next that could possibly top what we've had um i would love to see legendary cross godzilla the monster verse into the um pacific rim universe i i think you have the makings there for like the most insane crossover fun cheesy showa era like tribute because what it is is you got this like premise for this alien world that's producing kaiju like off of a like a factory like assembly line so you know these jaegers are just not going to cut it and so you know i would love to see something where some scientist finally goes you know we have these kaiju from the past that maybe if we can just summon and them and harness their power they could be our champions and it would be super cheesy but i would love to just see a super crazy trilogy of 
gaijus with jaegers just teaming up with like godzilla and kong and maybe bringing in some of these legendary toho monsters um that don't get as much shine and just having them go into like a battle royal against these alien kaiju you know so that's just my quick man uh, if you if anyone's listening <laughs> man, and anyone can get the ear right. of legendary yeah. folks make this happen because as far as i know they have the rights so it i'm just like let's, Honestly, let's make that I, happen but it, yeah this has absolutely. been really yeah. i think they just yeah. getting toho to agree to it i think is probably the big the, the biggest hurdle to that happening but yeah no i agree it's been a blast i never take uh you know an opportunity i never turn down an opportunity to talk about godzilla movies uh and like i said i could spend the, the rest of the day talking about it uh there's 33 films 33 japanese films five godzilla uh, five american films so we have plenty to talk about but no it, it's great and i i will say in closing that yeah godzilla as uh just a pop culture icon i think he means a lot to a lot of people and that that is a kind of a reflection on the fact that as humans, we are fascinated by things that are bigger than ourselves. And we're fascinated by uh, forces that are beyond our control. And that's really what Godzilla symbolizes, is the fact that as humans, we are small, and there's so many greater forces in this world than just us. And it's important to kind of recognize and reflect upon that. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from Godzilla movies as a franchise is, uh, you know, in the midst of all the fun in the, in the midst of all the flying kicks and the goofiness is the sense that, you know, we have a world uh, that is full of just incredible things. And as humans, we have a place and a role in it and we, we need to steward that and we need to um, not be bigger than ourselves and think that the world outside of us is not important. And so, yeah, I think that's my, my final note on what the main thrust of the Godzilla franchise is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Chris, any, any final thoughts? No, I mean, Nah. <laughs> yeah, <I'm good. laughs> yeah. Talk about a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think it's awesome, guys. You know, to have you guys on, you know, to to share your your fandom, but also like, it's obvious you guys have not just appreciated the movies or enjoyed them, but really grappled with them in a sense, right? And so, um, I think it really is really been a, a benefit to us to have you guys on. So. I, I I'm a big believer in uh, in part twos and uh, you know follow up episodes. So uh, Sam, we can what we could do in a second episode is uh, put together a screenplay <laughs> for, for the uh, for the crossover event right. of yeah. of the century. So <laughs> Pacific Rim and Godzilla, man. Gosh, I mean, if y'all want to do a second ep, like I I didn't even introduce the Gamera Godzilla. Oh man, yeah. oh man, that's a, that's a whole different. It is, and that would we could that would it. honestly be my like if I, I had a, a pick on what legendary would make, it would be a Godzilla Gamera crossover. That would be one for the ages. I I would yeah, be all yeah. in on that. Absolutely. Well, let's yeah. let's yeah. throw it in the in the uh, in the group chat and see if we could come up with uh with a date in a couple weeks. 
that'll give me some time actually to, to work <laughs> through some of these movies as well. Yeah. Um, just to have a, a different point of sure. reference. And uh, yeah, I would love it. I mean, we, we did it a couple weeks back with uh, with the new Halloween trilogy. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. John, our, our special guest, he had a whole like really, really yeah. well thought out yeah. sort of alternative approach. And uh, it was a great episode. So oh, John's great. Yeah, John. John's awesome. I'm glad you guys connected. He's oh, he he's is. a lot of fun uh, as well, and he he really knows his. He does. You well. know, I'm hoping so. At the point where we hopefully start to make some ad revenue from the podcast, I'm going to pay someone first to do the post work. But then I think Chris, we need to hire John to do voiceover work for us. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, he's just got. Yeah, he can like he us. us. Yeah. Oh, it sounds so official. He's got Your some pipes. Co-host Will and Chris. <laughs> oh, well, guys. Uh, I, and it's, I don't know if it really falls into horror, but if you guys ever want to do a Pacific Rim yeah. Yeah. app, I'd be up for that. I, I've, I've really loved that right. franchise. Well, not the franchise. Pacific I didn't Rim. like the second one. Yeah. but. Um. I really want to do Cloverfield, oh, yes. which I think oh, um, yeah. gets really into some of the horror elements that you get from like Absolutely. the yeah, version. For sure. Um, I don't really like the franchise because they get random movies and just yeah, like Cloverfield. It's, it's very title. true. <laughs> yeah, the first one is the best one. Yeah. But um, the yeah, first one is yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. Just very common, like technology interrupting nature and there's this really pissed off monster it's like what's going on yeah um yeah well yeah and that monster it's supposed to be a baby like looking for its mother that's oh, like the, <laughs> yeah. oh sorry i thought you were saying no, no, no. <laughs> 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 was not was not <laughs> this is where uh this is where if we had higher production value just be like a big record scratch and right yeah yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> next week <laughs> my 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 middle son caleb who's now grown but when he was a toddler his nickname yeah. was kaiju <laughs> He, when he was about two, he was a big toddler who would just lumber around the house and leave a swath right. of destruction. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, my wife and I started calling him Kaiju, and it just kind of yeah. stuck. So, yeah, that's like, awesome. I totally – that resonates, guys. I totally – I've been yeah. there. been there yeah. as a dad. So I love it. <laughs> that's great. Oh, man. Well, this has been fun, guys. Well, now I know what's going on. Yeah, there you go. Well, guys, we'll uh, we'll throw it in the chat, and we'll, we'll come up with a – with another day, another date and time. I'm looking Sounds forward great. to it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, thank you guys. And really for those of us it. who have uh, been tuning in, guys, we're almost an hour and a half into it. By far the longest episode. It's been great. Um, man, we we could talk for another hour at least if we wanted to. Um, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate uh, all the time you guys give us. Um, as a reminder, you guys can find us on uh, a multitude of streaming platforms. Spotify, uh, Stitcher is actually going out of business, or they're being absorbed by another parent company here in a couple weeks. So, not Stitcher, uh, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeart, Amazon Music. Uh, stream us, follow, like, subscribe. Absolutely, leave us a five star review. If you're going to leave us a one star review, just keep on going, guys. Leave it somewhere else <laughs> but not with us and uh follow us on social media horror lab pod on twitter horror lab pod on instagram and the horror lab on facebook guys we appreciate again all the time you've given us 
And uh, special thank you to our special guests, uh, Matt and Sam. You guys are awesome. Learned a lot, um, a lot that I obviously didn't know. And so it's been it's been as much a learning exercise as it's been a great discussion. So thank you guys both for, for joining us. And uh, we will catch you guys next week in the Horror Lab. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>